Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an extra special episode of Private Parts. As I said before, we're doing a six-part series of bonus episodes, which will feature a wide range of voices from the LGBTQ plus community to share and celebrate love in all of its forms. Now, as part of this podcast series, we want to shine a light on the incredible charity we're working with, which is called the Albert Kennedy Trust, AKT. AKT is a national LGBTQ plus charity that provides support and housing for those experiencing homelessness, abuse or rejection. It's incredible. So if you have time, please go and check them out as they are doing such vital work and any support from you, anything whatsoever, if you're able to give anything would be amazing. Now, these bonus episodes are produced in collaboration with the gourmet sweet brand Candy Kittens. Yes, my beloved sweet brand and the ever popular Love's Sweet Range, which is available right now. Now, today's episode, we have Glyn Fussell. It was amazing to chat to him. Glyn is a larger-than-life character. He is founder of Sink the Pink and the Mighty Hoopla Festival. We talk about his life, growing up in Bristol, what he's done, Australia, coming out. It's an amazing episode, so get ready for this. Okay, enjoy the episode. Glyn, have you done podcasts? I've I've done many podcasts. But, have you? But never with this great lighting. Oh my god, this so lighting! You try is... and keep me away. This lighting. Trust me, I'm a stickler for sound and lighting. It took us ages to find the perfect lighting. It's amazing. It's like a giant kind of nipple. Yes, a huge nipple. So wait, so you've done this a lot. So you you kind of quite like chatting and oh, opening up. Do I like chatting? <laughs> yeah, I I chat a lot. Maybe too much. I would probably say that... So I just got back from Glastonbury. Yeah. Where if it wasn't the final day and the coach was picking us up, I would have been evicted from the campsite. Because I just... I, I, if there's a license to tell stories to new people that haven't heard them before, <laughs> I will do it. So you're like a communicator as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm one of seven kids. And so... And I'm second youngest. And if you don't speak the loudest, you don't get heard. So, Yeah. And then I think I just, I like storytelling. Storytelling is my favourite thing. Mm. Um, not really to listen to. I like to be the storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm show off. So all in all, yeah, I love chatting. That's funny. I, I grew up in a family. I have eight brothers and sisters as well. What? Yeah, dude, I have. So, do, are you divorced, divorced parents? Like yeah, that? yeah. Same as me, okay. Yeah. And I'm like second, I was second youngest in the family as well. Same. So you just try and be heard all the time. What are the other options that you just kind of disappear into nothing? Yeah. That wasn't going to happen for me. Same as me. My family are very loud, very working class and raucous. And I realised that I was very different from a young age. So it was one of those things where I thought, God, I need to, I need to basically become the, the kind of show pony of the family. Mm. Which, believe it or not, when I was young, did not come naturally to me. So you just, you put it on, don't you? You put on the... I guess, the character, and then before you know it, the character becomes you. <laughs> it's true. It's funny. I was talking about this with someone the other day, is that I, I don't know why, like, I definitely felt a little bit different when I was younger. Yeah. But, in, but, but we're all different. But does everyone feel different? Do you think, does anyone go, well, I feel normal? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think you'd be surprised. I think a lot of people, <laughs> but do I don't that. think they even have that, like, light bulb moment because they don't need to. They just sort of, fit in and do what they're told and do what their parents did and, yeah. you know, go to the same pubs that brothers and sisters do. But I think that if you... And, and being different can be so many different things. It could be professional. It can mm. be, you know, it's a lot of things. It could just be in your... The way that you look at the world, your perspective. But I think looking different 
and feeling different, not even looking different, feeling different just forces you to go, ooh, I'm going to have to step out of what I've been born into and do things a little bit differently. Yeah. And mine was showing off and um, being loud and making everybody look at me. Yeah, and it's never changed, Jamie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's ever changed for me either. Yeah. Honestly, I remember, I remember I used to, I went to boarding school at eight years old, right? And I remember lying in bed and I thinking, do you know what would be the coolest thing in the world? Is if I did a, a play at school where I was like the star of it and I had to walk out. So I was constantly wanting that validation as of well course. all the time. Yeah, me too, by the way. Yeah. I can't believe you said that about play. I, Did you have that as So well? my mum was, so not only was I one of seven, but my mum was a childminder. Now, I'm also, I think, quite positive in the way that I look at things. And so I thought, this is, this is either a vile experience because my house is like full of all these kids or... It's a cast of a play. And so I decided at, at, yeah, I think I was about nine that I, I was obsessed with Grease 2, which is, I think, the better of the Grease films. Are you joking? Unpopular. Grease. We won't get into that because Grease I have many points. <laughs> and so what I did is I, I watched Grease 2 and I wrote out word for word every, every part and then made all the kids create the, the musical of Grease yeah. 2, which we performed to my mum. But obviously I was the lead character, the writer, the director, the choreographer. Yeah, and I've been, I've been doing that ever since. I've actually ended up making a career out of that, really. But you, you grew up in Bristol. Um, at One of seven, you felt different. Um, but explain like, how and why you felt different. Well, I think it was quite obvious. I mean, my family, they never leave. We're from a place called Beminster, um, and they... No one really ever escapes Bemster, apart from Jade Adams, actually. She's comedian Jade Adams is I love from Bemster as well. Yeah. She's the only other person. But yeah, no one really leaves. You go to, the, you know, it's one of those places that kind of gets you stuck and you stay. And I knew I was different. But it wasn't a gay thing, really, because I think growing up then, this was the 1980s. I know you wouldn't be able to tell by my glorious skin. <laughs> Are you 88? I was born in 1980. You, what, shut up. Yes. What moisturiser are you using? You look for... That is it's phenomenal. It's this amazing new moisturiser called Botox. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and, I, um, I really could good. not recommend it enough. <laughs> 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 and also, there's a new one as well called Filler, which is uh, the spin-off series to Botox. But So I grew up there, but I, before I knew I was gay, I knew that I was alternative. And what yeah. I mean by that is that I was part of the, the kind of weird kids that liked comics and, and, you know, in senior school, I was a massive Bjork fan and, you know, I had lizards and I was just the weird kid that didn't do what all the kids on the neighbourhood do. And I think that was because being gay, there was, there was literally no one for me to look at in mainstream, or in anywhere, mainstream media, you know, in my neighbourhood. No that, one to look up to. There was, there was just no one. I, I mean, if I think about it, you know, you'd see the odd gay on a carry-on movie, but they weren't even out. You know, you'd see Freddie Mercury, but he was still in the closet. Yeah. Back then, there was no representation on TV or anywhere that said that is what being a gay man looked like. And even when it was at the point where there was, it just didn't, it wasn't like, a gay man that I could get on board with. It wasn't someone that I could see myself in. Mm. So it took me a long time, really, and made, made me go down the route of being, you know, in the Bjork fan club before I was... 
going to GAY. Really? <laughs> yeah. It just took me a lot That's longer. Tough. It's so funny, you know, having done this amazing series that we're doing now, right, and just talking to so many huge characters, Yeah. right, it, it, the same sort of narrative which keeps coming out is like, holy shit, growing up was fucking tough. Yeah. Because uh, we, me, she, they, whoever it is, felt different and couldn't look up to anyone. Yeah. And so you had to figure this whole road out yourself. And fucking out a road anyway is tough. Yeah. Like navigating through life is so hard, let alone uh, potentially hiding something as well. Well, that was it. I felt like getting the other side, if I'm honest, was never really the, the main thing on my mind. It was just shit. I can't let anybody find out. That's so upsetting. So I felt, I remember when I came out to my mum and she just burst into tears. And she said, you've been lying this whole time and you could have just told me. And I think the hardest thing for me was, what if someone finds out? What if someone finds out that I'm gay? What will, what will happen? And I always remember thinking it was, my number one priority was just to keep that secret because if I didn't, I, I thought I'm going to be chucked out or I'm not going to have any friends or a family. So it's really heavy when I think about it. But I think you just become very resilient. You become very, you know, I think about what I do for a job now and I think it all comes from that struggle. Mm. It also, the fact that I'm really creative and have this big imagination comes from, you, you don't live, you're not living your life how others are. You know, I didn't have a teenage year really, my teenage years, because... The, the luxury of going out and flirting with people, and that didn't exist for me. I was sort of living in my own head, creating a fantasy world of what my life might be when I get to a point where I can live freely. So it's, it's pretty... It's like a prison, right? Yeah, it's hardcore. And I, especially growing up where I grew up, which was rough, and the school I went to was really, you know, it's where they sent all the, the kids that got expelled from all the other schools. So I just took every day as it came, thinking to myself, well, that was a good day. I, you know, no one beat me up and I didn't get found out. My God. It's, it's hardcore. Yeah, it is hardcore. What I always find out is it's such naivety for me, right? Because, you know, I, I had my own struggles, but, but you realise how little your own struggles are compared to something so grand as that. You know, so when you... Because if you're living in that sort of secrecy and you don't want to come out, so when did you then realise that you were gay? Well, I think coming into my teenage years when all of a sudden the hormones are doing their thing and there's mm. like a pinball machine, literally like, oh my God, I need to touch someone of the sex that I want to touch. <laughs> yeah. and, and it was kind of all consuming. It is all consuming. It's it like was you, all consuming. You, you want something to release, but you don't but know what it is. But also it's just not an option. So yeah. it, that is wild. That's a wild place to be in. And I just remember thinking the second I can, I need to get out of Bristol. So I just put all my time and energy into working. And when I say working, I was a cleaner at Bristol City Football Ground. I would clean on the Sundays for the market, like all the fish heads, get rid of all the fish heads. Did that, did three paper rounds, worked at a local factory, um, worked in a shop on Saturdays. And I was just saving money so that I could get out. Um, Where did you want to go? as far away as possible. Now, my half-sister lives in Australia and all I knew was that Kylie was from Australia and she seemed to be a beacon of homosexuality. So I was like, that's where I'm going to go. And so I saved, I saved. And then I think just after my 18th birthday, I bought a ticket, one-way ticket. Mm -hmm. And off I went to Australia 
on my own, which is when I think back, because I've got nieces now, they're 18. Mm. 18 is like, you're, you're baby. a baby. You're a baby. You are a baby. I knew nothing. I didn't even know how and to quite use quite vulnerable. You're yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, also, I was very naive because I'd not been out dating, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I really was being chucked into the gauntlet and I, I got over there and I remember I stayed with my sister for two weeks. I couldn't, didn't know how to use a microwave. Uh, I didn't know how to do anything. And I think she was like, whoa, he's going to last, you know, a week. And, I, and, and something kicked in to, when I got there and I just thought to myself, I've, I'm in the same place, you know. I might be in a different country, but I'm still with my family. I'm still in the closet. Mm. So I thought I need to go and meet young people. So... Off I went with my CV printed, <laughs> how vintage. <laughs> Off I go, and literally there was nothing on it. Sweeps, sweeps, sweeps up in car parks, does paper rounds. Like literally, I don't know what the CV was. Might as well have just been a receipt, and that yeah, was it. Just nothing. And off I went doing, and I everyone just kind of laughed at me. And I didn't get a job, and then I finally walk into this coffee shop, and um, they offered me a job and then I started work the next day, did the full day there only to find out at the end of the day, we all sit down for a coffee and the owner turned around to me and said, you do, dear, you do know this is a gay cafe. And I thought, I, I mean, I didn't think anything at the time of them. Thank fuck. But when I look back, I think something in my life drew me to that place at that time because I needed it. That was a change point. If, I, if that didn't happen, I think... I would have probably gone back home because I was terribly homesick. Yeah. I was regretting it. Yeah. Um, anyway. Was that, just, was that a moment that just... So then were you like, okay, fine. Oh my God. I can be myself. Well, he, he said, dear, this is a gay cafe. Are you gay? And I went, yes, I'm gay. I'm gay. I'm gay. And then I could not stop saying it. I literally... <laughs> and you like, went into a musical. Yeah, yeah, I'm gay, <laughs> I'm gay, I'm motherfucking gay. All the way home. And, and that was it. And then two weeks later, I was working as a go-go boy in the local nightclub, the end. <laughs> and then really, things never... And then after that, that was but, it. But that, that was that moment. That must be it was so that liberating. It was, and, and it changed my life because I ended up moving in with one of the guys from the coffee shop. One of the guy, the guy that owned the cafe was called Auntie Donald and he was an old thespian from the UK that had um, moved back to Australia because I think, well, I think shit hit the fan and he had nowhere else to go. <laughs> and got back and he was, you know, big kind of wiry hair and he walked into work with a cane to make cappuccinos, may I add. And he was just this sort of like flouncy Dickensian kind of like, just a mate, this amazing character where I learned all my kind of camp pops and whistles from him really and... Yeah, and, and you he felt accepted. Well, he took that me into his way because I think he saw that. I, you know, that's the one thing that's great about our community is that most of us are just young kids that are running away and wanting to be found. And I think when you find someone that's like a, an, an elder or a mentor or someone that's willing to take you in, it's it's like you're passing down our culture. Yeah. Because there aren't many places for that other than nightclubs for our culture to be passed down. Yeah. You know, we don't go to church. We don't go to football games. We don't sit around really en masse together talking about our history or our lesson, lessons that we've learned or love and stuff. I've you never know? thought of it like that, yeah. So, so finding those people, those mentors are so important. And so that's why I've always continued to live like Auntie Donald and... And in fact, I didn't bring my cane today, but I was thinking of doing it. <laughs> but I think it's so important because otherwise, I don't know, otherwise, that, you know, we don't find people that we see ourselves in. 
And so I think it's important to just to, to make sure that you are as visible as possible. I agree. And, and, it's, and having mentors and people like that in life is, and finding your tribe, whatever that is, is yeah. so important. Well, it's game changing. I think it, it, it can save you as a person and it can, and I mean, it took me, I think there's, I've, I've found my tribes many times since then. I think when I was in Australia, I found my kind of cliched Australian crop top wearing tribe and at the time I was thrilled with that because that's what I was after and then and then I realized after a while I, I needed a bit more than that because I was still you know you're still that alternative yeah boy that has a MySpace fringe and listens to Bjork you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean so it took me a while and then I moved back to London and started going to more alternative clubs mm. but even then it really took me until I formed Sink the Pink to to find my tribe, and that was because I I set it on myself and did it on my terms. Yeah, but talk, so you sink the pink and the mighty hoopla, right? So the, these are these sort of festivals that you have grown your complete self. You yeah. you've created yourself. Yeah. Firstly, coming from a business owner myself and an entrepreneur, running any sort of business is insanely hard and i applaud yeah. anyone who does it like yeah. it doesn't matter what you're doing no one knows how hard it is it is insanely <laughs> yeah. hard and no one ever explains to you but secondly running something what you do i always think the hardest thing about running a business is the managing of people Your, yours is that is the, what yeah. you're doing you're managing people so how did that all happen how did it come about i guess it happened because it had to happen there was no other option for me i'd been in london a long time I've been working for the man and doing and just trying everything. And I, listen, 10 years on, I still really only had on my CV, he sweeps up in car parks. Like I'd not done anything. Well, I, unemployable. Yeah, I was unemployable. Yeah, unemployable, yeah. And I realised that, but I was unemployable, but also I realised that I was going to do something great. So that's a really hard one to, <laughs> to straddle. And also I was always fired from everything I did because I'm very outspoken. I hate injustice. You know, I've got this thing about if someone tells me to do something and I think, well, that's just stupid, I will tell them. <laughs> so I think the pink came really because me and my best friend had been going out in, in London and we just couldn't find anywhere. She was straight, I was gay, but... We couldn't find anywhere that felt playful, fun, that, that worked for both of us. So we just started it ourselves. We started a club night and it started so small. Like I think 37 people came to the, the first one and we shipped a lot of those in from Bristol and Kent, where we were both from. Yeah. Um, but it was the first time we felt as though we belonged. Mm. I mean, <laughs> of course we belonged. We started it, but we just kept going with it. We had, had a sudden purpose, right? That you were like we doing purpose. something. Yeah. And we woke up and felt alive. And so it was this fire in our bellies that we just kept this singular vision, kept going, kept going. And before we knew it, you know, we were selling out Brixton Academy in six minutes. And, Are you serious? And we toured the world with Spice Girl and we've played Times Square and we did Graham yeah, Norton on New Year's you, Eve. You, you brush over like so quickly. That is... Uh... It's crazy because I think sometimes you'll be lucky enough in... I truly believe that if you f chase your joy, mm -hmm. if you chase the thing that makes you feel happy, you find other people that are chasing their joy and it becomes really infectious and then you become this amazing kind of ball of energy that ends up just growing and growing and growing until you've got something that's unstoppable. Mm. And I think that that's what we did. And I think also we were part unintentionally of something that was happening socially, culturally, uh, drag, you know, we started the same year as RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. And we were the kind of anti-RuPaul, you know, we were the 
the females doing drag and we were bearded drag queens and we were like while whilst theirs is all about looking great ours was about how shit can you look <laughs> you know like just rolling glue and no bit of fluff and that's drag and that was what we so we were saying anyone is welcome whereas rupaul is very much about you have to you look, have to look a way. way so we were this labelless thing and i think it was quite refreshing at the time because i think everything was quite pinned in in london mm. so it just started growing and growing and yeah i mean there was many hurdles but i think the thing for me is it was the first time where i felt i felt who you know all of a sudden wow this is what i'm supposed to do yeah. this is who i am this is what i'm really good at and for the longest time it didn't feel like a business but i knew i needed to get it to Mm. For longevity, I needed to get it to the place where it could be a business. Mm. Not just for me, but for everyone Because th- th- there's that sense of responsibility now, right, that you have. I'm steering the ship. I mean, all of a sudden, yeah. not only am I this figurehead in the community, yeah. I'm people's employer, I'm people's livelihood, and I am, I guess, I am an option for people to have a career. Drag was not a career before. Explain to me why drag wasn't a career. I guess it wasn't in the forefront of popular culture, really, before Drag Race and before what we were doing. It was definitely underground. It would be something you would do on the weekend. You would be a hairdresser by day, drag queen by night. And would it be, you'd be quiet about it? You'd be very private about it? Not really. There was stuff happening, but it was just, it wasn't an option. Not just drag, actually. There's a lot, and I'm really proud of this, is that we've... Yeah given a platform to people that want to use their queerness and unashamedly not hold back on it to find a career path. So this long higgledy-piggledy route that I found, and it's been all around the houses and back again, to get to that place, we've opened up and created this platform that all of a sudden gives people an opportunity in a space to explore the career that they want. You know, for instance, they might want to be a choreographer, but in a mainstream space, they might be what would be deemed as overweight. But all of a sudden, we're saying, no, you can do that. And and we've given those opportunities to people where you can look however you want. So it's a kind of space that's non-compromising. It's amazing and you've done that. It's the thing I'm proudest of. Is the thing that when I think back and look back, when I'm an old flouncy homo like Auntie Donald. <laughs> yeah, like, are you going to your cafe? Be, yeah. <laughs> no, I'll be doing nothing, Jamie. <laughs> nothing. It's the thing I'm the most proud of because I feel as though we opened up a very closed, narrow, mm. a lot of it creative industries to give an opportunity for these amazing people that just all they needed was a shot and an opportunity and, but they still wanted to not compromise who they, who they are. So I feel really proud of that. Talked about Hoopla. Well, Hoopla came off the back of Sink the Pink after realising that club nights can only get so big. And we really got as big. We sold, I think, the final ever Sink the Pink was, we did it in Printworks and it was 6,000 people. So you sold 6,000 tickets? 6,000 tickets in six minutes, may I add. And I just thought, this is the top, this is as big as a club night can get without it feeling lost. So... Hoopla was sort of the next step, I guess. I always wanted to do a festival. I'm a massive, as you know, I've just got back from Glasgow, big festival fan. And there wasn't really a queer festival out there. So we started it. It started relatively small, 9,000 people. That's big. I know. Well, we just, uh, I think three weeks ago, did uh, two days, 60,000 people. What the biggest shit. biggest queer festival in the world? If you don't know, yeah, motherfuckers, and, <laughs> that's, um, that's crazy. And it continues man. to grow, and it's 
a, a huge, amazing thing. But the thing I love about it most is that you will never, you have to come to the next one. I would love, honestly, you I would love freaking it. love to. It is just the best day out or two days out for people. You could bring anyone. It's, it's not, you know, you don't have to be LGBTQ plus. You yeah. just have to be on board with coming, living your best life, feeling joy. And showing dancing, love, right? Dancing pop to pop music. You know, we had Kelly Rowland in years and years this year. And it's, it's just incredible. This is yeah, Brockwell Park in Brixton. Just what is the key to a, a perfect party? Um, leaving your shit at the door. I think it's, and, and having no rules. And I think that's very hard actually to have no rules. And, and parties and festivals forget that. You know, you get, you get through the gate and then you're like, oh, let me jump in this other queue. Mm. Or sorry, you can't take your drink. It's like, come on. Life is hardcore enough. I think you need places to escape and, and spaces that feel completely safe and also like these sort of magical moments of utopia. Mm. So I think just, yeah, having somewhere that feels like there's no rules and respect, I think respecting each other. Did you have or do you get any negative to you? Yeah. Really? <laughs> I think I'm the right person to deal with it though because of where I'm from. I'm scrappy and I'm... Resilient. And I'm hard as nails. Really? Yeah. Don't be fooled by these limp wrists. Really? <laughs> I can punch. No, <laughs> no, I just think I I have a mouth and I'm not afraid to use it. And I'm also not going to be intimidated by anyone. Yeah. And I think also I defend all of those around me. But yeah, we've had some really, really... We've been in hostile situations. I remember once, Sink the Paint, when we were beginning to get successful, we got booked for a university tour mm. to go around and perform in all these unis. And some of them were great and the majority of them were brilliant. Um, but this one uni, and I won't call it out, Loughborough Uni. (laughs) 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 Um, They heckled us, like really heckled us. But they were not going to heckle me because this is the thing, they'll always go for the most vulnerable person. Yeah. And it was the kind of the more feminine drag queen that was on stage. And they were really like... I think they were shouting, that's a man, that's a man. Just really hostile. And Amy, who I started to sing the pink with, she just put the mic on the floor, walked out, walked into the crowd and just grabbed the people right in the eye and said, are you okay? I literally killed them with like this kind of, and they literally, and you know, that's how you do it. Is there's no point in being aggressive. Because then you're sinking to a different level. Also, all of anything like that just comes from a place of fear. It is as a place of fear. You're right. No. It's, it's so much easier to attack with like, you know, these these stones or sticks yeah. or whatever. And just but you're words. only ever going to do that if you don't like yourself. You'll never find someone at the, you know, if you are someone that's in a great place in their life, that's found their happy place, whatever that is, mm. even if in the back of their mind they don't understand something, they're not going to attack you. So misery breeds company doesn't it it's always called misery breeds company misery needs company yeah 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 and it's it's so true because i think that people that are angry and full of fear and they don't wanna, like they want to the, yeah they want they want to project they're like yeah. don't look at me don't look at me i'm going to shout and also i think what happens is is that when people are feeling a certain way as you said they they almost feel trapped themselves and they find it unfair that other people yeah. are expressing themselves in certain ways well we're so holding they, up a mirror to them of 
wow, look at us, we're living and yeah. we're doing it in a jockstrap in heels. <laughs> You've also written a book? Oh, yeah, I did that. That yeah, happened. You freaking did I did that. it in pandemic. It you was, freaking it was, did it that. It saved me from a lot of therapy, I can tell you that. <laughs> tell me yeah. about that. What was the process of writing the book like? Um, well, I'd been wanting to write a Sink the Pink book, but again, when I was talking about finding your mentors, I wanted it to be, and passing down our line of culture, I wanted to write a book that essentially did that took all my learnings and all the findings of not only me, but all the other, because it's called Manifesto for Misfits. Um, and the idea was all of those friends of Sink the Pink that have kind of carved a lane for them that is unconventional. So we've got like young blood in the book and um, skin from Skunk and Nancy and... God, who else is that? It's amazing, you're getting all of these yeah. misfits that are creating these amazing exactly. communities. But also doing it on their own terms. And they've all got these amazing lessons, but I wanted to kind of gather all of that in one place so that if you felt a little misplaced or like you just didn't fit in, you could grab a book and you could read it in, you know, in its entirety or you could just grab pages. So it's split into like fun little kind of guidance. It's a kind of anti-self-help book because mm. I think self-help can always be a bit whilst it's guiding you, it's also judging you. Don't you find that with self-help yeah. books? It's like... If you're they, feeling this way, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh my God. Exactly. Like, I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to just be a, a, a space where we could all just be really real and share, um, but in a fun way. So it's a sort of story of Sink the Pink, but with, with lots of guidance in it. What was your lesson that you gave in the book? Well, I, the biggest lesson that I learned in the book was it made me... I'm, I'm someone that, especially when I started doing well, I'm always thinking about the next thing. I, I'm not reflective. I never sit in the now. Mm. I'm, I'm kind of ferociously ambitious, not just for myself, because I think that I'm always carrying the torch for my community and I feel like I have to run mm. and get to the next, get to the next bit, get to the next bit so that everybody can come up. So it just taught me to sit down be proud of... It's weird. I spent my entire life telling everyone, be proud of yourself, be proud of yourself, look what we've done. And I realised I wasn't very proud of myself. So it really taught me to just stop for a moment. Mm. Luckily, we were in a pandemic. Um, <laughs> and just understand that I've done some fucking great things. Yeah. And I've not only done them for those around me, but I should be proud of myself, especially because where I'm... You know, I think it's rare to link where you've come from with where you're at and really kind of process it all as one. So all of a sudden I had these real clanger moments, right? Like I said, that's why I'm like that. So yeah, it was like, it was therapy. There's light bulb moments where you suddenly go like, oh, oh that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, we yeah. had a abandonment issue. Oh, oh that's that, why I'm such a fuck up. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh no, yeah, exactly. I get so, it. So that was, it was, it was very fascinating for me. Um, I struggled to read it back since, but I read it back recently and I'm like, wow, this is really good. Why do you, you struggle know? to read it back? Because... Because I always move on to the next thing. Yeah. And then when the world opened back up post-pandemic, I'm like, right, got to get the festival back up and running now. So I think it's... But that's a blessing and a curse you have. Yeah. Honestly, I, 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 there, I swear to God, so many similarities uh, I, between with you and I that 
on to the next thing, on to the next thing, yeah. on to the next thing. And someone told me once that, like, what is focus? Focus is when you say no to the other stuff and focus what you're doing, right? Even though every being of you wants to yeah. go into the other stuff. And I find that really hard. Are you ADHD? Yeah. And yeah, I was going to say, you. Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the so, party, baby. So that was, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about a thousand things at once. Yeah. And the head and the things. It's, it's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot in the head. And, and it, it's a lot in the head because so many thoughts are going on in the head. And also, you, you firstly don't really reflect, as you said, on what yeah. you've done. And also you can sometimes feel very uncomfortable in your own skin. So you almost want to keep moving because it's actually I'm more uncomfortable you, to sit still. Oh my God, I totally. I mean, I, that's the other thing. I realised I was ADHD whilst writing this book because I read... I was going to say to you because the way... You, I was showing yeah. things to people and they'd go, <laughs> great, you're, you should be guiding people. You're like a tornado. But I, I think it's... Is, is if you are ADHD and you you have a career that, you know, there's a, I've, I've realised there's a lot of people in business that are ADHD because totally. it works, because you're constantly, like, running, managing a million things. Mm. Not always great, but you're still managing them. Yeah. And, and you're able to always be going after stuff because there's no other option. Otherwise, you have to sit alone in a dark room and think about yourself. You don't want to do Eek. that. You don't, you, you don't want to do you. that. But you find out a lot about yourself. Like I've recently just done that as well, where you find out so much about yourself and you realise, okay, why am I like this? Why, why was I unemployable? Why couldn't I focus on stuff? Why was I this like kid who was always getting in trouble and all these yeah. different things? And then you suddenly realise it. And that imposter syndrome is like, it's so you You never think, and what you're saying, you never realise, like if you're looking at your career and what you've done, Yeah. Anyone would, if you were your little self in Bristol yeah. saying this is what you're going to achieve, you'd be like, get out of here. But you almost don't give yourself the acknowledgement. Of course. Yeah, you don't. I mean, and it's weird you say that because I've always had imposter syndrome, terrible imposter syndrome. But I'm also, because I'm built in a certain way, I kind of go, I'll show you. You know, it makes me run into it. But I guess as everything's got more serious, that imposter syndrome has creeped out because, it, you know, it never leaves you. It creeps out when you least expect Always, it. Yeah. You know, sometimes you'll be going to an event and you're just not in the right headspace and you're walking and you'll be like, my God, they've got cameras, I'm going to hide. We'll go in the back entrance, you know, or not that anyone's going to take a picture, but like whatever. <laughs> well, I know what you mean. It's, it's, it's weird. Like that. And, and biz in business now, actually, as everything's got a little bit more serious, there's not many people in, in boardrooms that look like me that, sort of storm in like whiz round like a Tasmanian devil and and so I found that tough to to figure out my position god I know you honestly so many people listening to this will agree with you because I, yeah. I I you're you're the, the spirit of a true entrepreneur yeah. and 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 actually what you're sort of explaining is like a like a businessman right the, the sort of stereotypical businessman wearing a suit with a tie sitting in a ballroom talking different things but the magic is you. Yeah. And that's the whizzy thing going round. Yeah. But when you can't conform to those normal things, you feel out of place even there. But it's hard because I think you have to remember that sometimes you are part of the magic. You're the thing keeping it going. Mm. But there are times where I sit there and I go, I think, I think I'm compromising. I think this is what this is. But I can only do that for so long mm. before I literally go mad <laughs> and go, ah, I'm going out four days. No one's going to contact me. <laughs> you try find me. I'll show you who's in control. Oh, I yeah. know. And also what's amazing is that you said this. So, uh, you know, the reason why we're doing this amazing series is we have our Kanikin loves, right? And you said that this was your, this was your lunch 
in Glastonbury on Saturday? It depends. <laughs> well, it was the, the meal. I don't know if it was lunch because <laughs> we, time was not important at Glastonbury. Not just Saturday. We ate candy kittens every single day at Glastonbury. Did you? Because well, they're easy to chew. They're That's easy one. To be. <laughs> there you go. They're yummy. They're vegan. Yeah, there we go. And I'm all of the. I'm about all those things. Yeah, I know. I, I just really. Do you know what is amazing about doing this series is that you again. It's just learning so much and understanding so much, and also, it's just the resilience of so many individuals within the community. Yeah, it's fucking tough. But I think we're resilient. But when you get us together, because I I think it's good to be resilient. I think it's good to have a story. We I lack resilience today. I truly believe that, and I think it's really good to have struggled, to have been through shit to have not just been through shit, to come out the other end of shit mm. and then have used that struggle as a superpower. And I think as a community, that is what makes LGBTQ plus people so amazing is that we, when you put us together, when, when we as the minority become the majority together, we are powerful and we are resilient and we can do anything. And, and that's why this world that we live in now tries to divide us and separate us because they understand our power. But it's just not going to happen because we have been through a, a great deal on this world. We will continue to have shit slung at us from everywhere, but we just continue to fight and we will always continue to fight. But And I think that's Expl what makes our community so brilliant. You're so right because you're all connecting on a similar thing, yeah. right? Similar story. Where, where is it the divide happens? Where, where well, can that happen? Well, I think right now, obviously, there's a lot happening... People are trying to bring down the trans community and mm. there's so much hate directed at drag queens, which is absurd, right? You know, it makes no sense. And all of it is a distraction for what is actually happening in the world within governments. You know, the fact that there's politicians commenting on drag and trans people yeah, and they've yeah. never even, they have no opinion on it, you know, but they're quite happy to go to pantomimes and watch, watch, you know, a, it's so strange. A, a drag queen in pantomime, but that's yeah. different because that's a pantomime dame. It's not called a drag queen. It's exactly the same thing. It's hypocrisy. It's absurd. It's a massive distraction. Drag queens are doing nothing but celebrating who they are, living their best life. They're actually an example to, to how we should live our lives. It's supposed to be frustrating. It's really frustrating because I love the full LGBTQ+. I love it all, right? We mm. all... The great thing about our community is how we... what what we celebrate is differences. Mm -hmm. We understand differences and we celebrate them rather than use them as points of difference. So when people are coming in, usually they have nothing to do with our community and saying, you should be annoyed at you, you know, and it happens with media from everywhere we can get it. It's, it's worrying. It is worrying. It's, it is a very... I like how you say it's like a distraction as well. It's true, right? It's of a complete like, distraction. Of what actually, like, like, is this really important? Well, I mean, like, at, why... what's happening in the world right now. It feels at times like the world is falling apart, right? Yeah, it feels a scary moment. And I think that we need distractions. It's very often that it's minorities that will bear the brunt of that mm. because we're not built into the structure that supports us you know so it's not very often black people or lgbtq plus people 
or migrants, you know. Mm. Of course, we, we are the problem here. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy. Listen, I, I just honestly, I really appreciate um, you being so. You said I could ask you anything, and I and I and that was wicked. Whenever you have these conversations, being able to like come anything. on anything, right? And and you said something so good. It's so important now in our, our current climate to be open and honest and and not hide things because yeah. we've hidden things for so long. So what is the point anymore? I just don't. I think that we live in quite a hidden world. Yeah. So the only way that you can break through that is to tell the truth. I freaking love that. If I was going to ask you, what does love mean to you? What would you say? What does love mean to me? Well, I'm very in love. I'm newly engaged. Hello. Congrats. Um, I would say that love means feeling safe. Um, I think I've been, I feel like I've kind of been on my own all my life. And I don't mean that in a like get the world's smallest violin out. But I've been very much trying to f- do everything on my own. And it's the first time I've felt protected. I've had someone do things without me asking and just that feeling of when you see someone that loves you and you love them back where my shoulders just go down and my my heart swells and I I just want to sit down and be present and still so yeah I would say that's what love means to me that's similar what I said yeah it's the best right it's nothing just be yourself nothing better and I feel like I've looked for it all my life but I've been looking in the wrong places yeah um and I I also think Love, the, the kind of love that I used to go for was kind of like racy and dangerous and a bit kind of wild and sexy. And now I just... That's lust though. I got confused. I think most yeah, people get confused. Men, with it. Yeah. No, men really get confused <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah, for Wait, me... this is love. Surely for me, this it's is just the love. really simple... It's, love is simple. Love is safe. Love is pure. Yeah. Love is all of those things that they leave you not wanting anything else. Mm. Like I'm, I could just sit in a room with, with my fiancé and just do nothing, and we often do, for, uh, for hours and hours and hours, and I would be completely content. So funny, because I, I got married as well, and I said to him, when, I, when my mum was asking me, why do you love it? I said, well, I can just go to a pub and just play Jenga, and that would be happy. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for me, it's it was like... You just don't need anything else. You don't need it, yeah. It was just the best. Yeah, that, and, and I'm... It also makes, because I feel safe now as well, it makes me feel more powerful than I've ever felt because I, for the first time ever, I would say in London, and London's hardcore, you know, to live in London, I think it's very rare that you create a sanctuary. And now I have my fiance and I have this sanctuary. I can go back, recharge my batteries and then go back out and fucking take over. I love that. And just lastly, how important is Pride Month? Right now, it's more important than ever before. And I think people think it's lost its way, maybe. But I think that right now, you... you if and, I, and I'm speaking not just to LGBTQ plus people here, but to anyone that calls himself an ally, to go out and make yourself known. Because if you can do it, you should do it. Bearing in mind that there's very, there's very few countries where we're allowed to march on the streets, where we're allowed to be free... You can still be stoned to death in places in the Middle East for just be just being suspected for being queer. You know, if, if, if you give a shit, if you love anyone, if you have a brother, a mother, a sister, a friend, anything that is queer, you have to march at Pride or turn up and show up and just be there. Right on, dude. Hey, thank you so much for coming on Private Plus. That was wicked. I really appreciate it. Hey, listen, everybody, uh, listen to the next episode next week. We'll see you soon. Bye! 
guys, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed hearing about Glyn Fussell and the origins of the Mighty Hoopla and the legacy of Sink the Pink. 6,000 tickets in six minutes. It was unbelievable. It's just amazing. What a character. Now, to find out more about the amazing work that the Albert Kennedy Trust do, head to their website, www.akt.org.uk. The link is in the description. And if you fancy a sweet treat, check out the new Candy Kittens Loves, Ashtonats, I'm biased, but they are freaking amazing. Sweet range, available online at candykittens.com. The link is in the description. And in stores such as Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Asda, and the Co-op. All right, see you soon. Bye-bye.